Well, as always, church, so good to be with you and sing songs to our God together. If you're new or visiting, uh, my name is Tyler David. I'm one of the preaching pastors and elders here at the Austin Stone. We're glad that you're here. Um, before we get started, I want to give you a brief update on Matt Carter. Um, some of you received a message this week from him talking about how he, he was excited to preach this Sunday. And unfortunately, you can tell that's not the case. Uh, the reason for that, as you guys know, Matt took a month off from preaching uh, under doc, uh, doctor's orders. They wanted him to give his throat a rest. But the, and he was excited. He was feeling good, ready to preach this Sunday. And then this past Wednesday, he was teaching our staff team. And as he was teaching our staff team, his throat immediately became sore. He started to cough again. And so the doctor thought it best for him to take some more time off. And so we're kind of waiting to see what's going on with him. So if you would, just keep praying for him. Ask God to heal him. I know he wants to be here so badly preaching this week, but God um, didn't give us the circumstances for it. So if you will, go and open up to 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6. And we'll be there in a moment. But today... Today we're in our, the last week of our generosity series and we begin to look at God's word and begin to ask ourselves, if the gospel is true, how does that affect our finances, our money, and our possessions, as we've been asking the last couple of weeks. And I hope that God's begun to do something in you that he's done in me, that he's begun to show you just how deep and insidious our love for money is. He's begun to show you that your finances are a powerful tool in steering your heart towards God, that ultimately all of us would recognize and, and see for ourselves that Jesus is better than all that money offers to be. That's the hope of this series. I hope it's already happening in you. But even though this is the last week of our series, this cannot be the last time we talk about our finances in light of God's love and grace to us. If all this series is a couple of weeks of you and I sort of feeling bad about our money, of you and I sort of looking at our budget, and that's all it is, then church, we have completely missed it. We have completely missed it. This series has got to be just the beginning of God making us a generous people. It has to be that. Because if we think a three-week series is going to make us spiritually healthy people, that's like thinking three weeks of dieting will make you physically healthy. All of us have done that. January 1st has rolled around. He thought, all right, this is the year. About to get fit, about to look fine. Here we go. And so you start dieting. You do it for three weeks. You're like, oh, I'm feeling good. You watch an infomercial. You think, you know why I don't work out? I don't have a gym in my house. You know why I don't work out? My weights don't shake when I lift them. You know why I don't work out? Because I don't have what Chuck Norris has. And we start to think, okay, I'm going to change. We do it for a month, and then we go back to our normal patterns. We wonder why our gut didn't go away. Why? Because three weeks can't fix us takes more than that, but we really want to believe that if I take something serious for a moment, that it fixes it for a lifetime. We really want to believe that a moment of seriousness will last our entire lives, but that's not the case, especially with our money, especially with our possessions, especially with something that is so deep-rooted in us, it's going to take time to get it out. So this series has to be just the beginning, the catalyst for us to begin to really make it a point to seek to follow Jesus through our generosity. It has to be that. We have to love one another enough to ask each other about our finances, to talk to each other about our generosity. We, we have to quit hiding this area of our lives from God and from other people. This area for the people of God can no longer be taboo for us to talk about. It can't. It can't be. See, we have to love each other enough to bring it up as we ask each other about our relationship with Jesus. We have to say, hey, how are you doing your sexual purity? How are you doing your time in the Word? How are you doing in your relationships, and how are you doing in your generosity? 
See, generosity has to become part and parcel of what it means to follow Jesus together. It has to. And as your pastors, I can tell you, we are going to do a better job of bringing this up more consistently. We're going to do a better job of bringing this up because when it comes to money and possessions, the stakes are far too high. The stakes are far too high because when God talks about money in the scriptures, he only has extreme outcomes in mind. When you read the scriptures about wealth and about money and about possessions, he only talks about them in, in terms of extreme outcomes. See, money has this great capacity to lead you into great sorrow, but also into great joy. Into great sorrow or great joy that it will lead you to places of pain, discontentment, and hardness towards God and towards other people. That's what it'll do. Or it can lead you into great passive joy as you give it away. Those are the outcomes. In a lot of ways, money is like a, is like a powerful narcotic. That in one sense, it can be used for good. Someone's hurting, someone's in pain, they can be eased and relieved and they can have joy. Or you can use that same narcotic and be an addict. Be an addict and not know life without it as it destroys you over time. See, money has this kind of power, this kind of sway in our lives. And so anytime something has this sort of power, you have to take it very seriously. You have to take it and handle it with much care because it has this much power. So what I want to do is I want us to look first at all the dangers that surround money. At all the dangers that surround us wanting to be rich and wanting to have more stuff. You have to know what God says that that is surrounded by spiritual danger. Look at 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 10. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen behind me. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money... It's the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. When you read the scriptures, when you see what God has to say about our money, when you have money or you want money, he says, be careful. Be careful. There's danger all around it. Notice the language that Paul uses. He does not say, hey, if you want money... You can be a little more mean to people. You, you, you'll be less empathetic. No, he uses very extreme language. He says, no, 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 you're going to have senseless and harmful desires. Desires that destroy you in the process. That you're going to be, you, know, you can be wandered, you can be led away from the faith. That through this craving, you will walk away from Jesus. He says, you'll be pierced with many pangs. He talks about it in extreme scenarios. See, the dangers are real and they're serious, but they're unseen. They're unseen at the beginning. That's why he's warning us to saying, it may not look this way. It may not look this way, but it's coming. It may not start with destruction, but it will end with destruction. That's what he's saying. It's exactly what he's saying. But here's the deal. It may never lead. It may never lead you to physical pain and destruction. 
See, what he's talking about, you, your desire for money and riches and my desire for money and riches may never lead us to physical pain and destruction. It may never lead us to cheat on our income taxes or exploit people. And so because we think that way, we immediately go, well, he doesn't really mean that. I'm a Christian. He loves me. That would never happen to me. That would never happen to me. He, he doesn't really mean those serious things. He's just making a point. Just, you know, don't be greedy. See, we take his word lightly because as, as typical of us, we're thinking far too small. Thinking far too small. See, because the greatest sorrow, the greatest destruction you could have or I could have is primarily spiritual. It's primarily spiritual. The greatest sorrow that you could have, the greatest destruction you could have and I could have is to miss out on Jesus. That's the greatest thing. That's the greatest thing. The greatest sorrow is to have a heart that is so numb towards him, his love, and his friendship. The greatest destruction you could ever experience is the coming wrath of God for all sin and all evil in this world and in us. And the only way out is through Jesus. See, riches are dangerous and they're deadly because they feed the illusion of our rebellion. They feed the illusion of our rebellion that there's life and meaning and happiness away from God. Riches feed the illusion that I can find life and joy in everything that I want without God. They feed that lie, and that's why they're deadly. Turn to Luke 18. Luke 18, we're going to see Jesus address this really specifically and tell us how dangerous it is to be wealthy. Luke 18, verses 18 through 27. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not, do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, He became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. So, so Jesus is sitting there and a rich young ruler walks up to him. He says, Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus talks to him about the commandments. They walk through the commandments. He says, okay, I've kept all those. What else? Jesus says, you lack one thing. One thing, that's it. One thing and then you get eternal life. Sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. He says this to the man and he gets sad. He gets sad because he's, he's thinking, I've kept all the commands and yet I can't give up this last thing. That his discipline can't save him in that moment and he walks away sad. And then Jesus, as he walks away, Jesus doesn't run after him. Jesus doesn't say, oh no, 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 I'm, I'm just kidding, come back. No, as he walks away, he looks at everybody else and says, how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? He says the number one thing that will keep you, the the greatest hindrance of, makes it most difficult to enter the kingdom of God 
is having wealth. That's what he just said. It's having wealth. He, he could have said a lot of things. He could have said, okay, those who are sexually uh, promiscuous and devious will have the hardest time getting in the kingdom of God. He could have said, those who don't read their Bibles or those who have terrible marriages or those who do X, Y, or Z or do drugs or whatever we think sin looks like. He could have said all of those things, but he didn't. He says, no, no, no. It will be difficult for those who have money and possessions. And you know what happens with us when we read this? We've learned to kind of soften his words. We've learned to say, yeah, but verse 27, the whole point of the text is that with man it's impossible, with God it's possible. So the point of the text is only God can save. It's not that riches make it more difficult. It's just only God can save. And that's true, only God can save, but that doesn't negate what Jesus said. Verse 25 still stands, and it still means something. And the reason I think we want to soften that statement, the reason I want to soften that statement is because we're the wealthy people. The reason we want to soften his words is because he's talking to us. We, you, myself, are the wealthy people in this world. We are the rich, young ruler, and we're, we're richer than he is. You know how I know that? We have indoor plumbing. We win. Air conditioning, check, I want that. It's like we have it better than he does. We have hospitals. We have all these things. He would trade everything to be here with us. He, Jesus is talking to us. But even more than just compared to back in the day, but compared to today. See, every single one of you in this room, and myself included, with very few exceptions, very few, are the wealthiest people on the planet. The wealthiest people on this planet. We've used this illustration before, but if you go to globalrichlist.com, type in your salary, uh, you can see how rich you are compared to the rest of the world. And so the, the poverty line, United States, for a family of four, is $23,000 a year. It's the poverty line. Now, I'm not making light of poverty or its struggles or the stresses or the strains that come with it. I'm not making light of it whatsoever. It's difficult. But to put it in perspective... If you make $23,000 a year, you are in the top 2.5% wealthiest people in the world. Top 2.5%. You make $32,000 a year or more, top 1% richest people in the world. Every single one of us is wealthy. And so when Jesus says, how difficult is it for the wealthy to get into the kingdom, he's talking to me. He's talking to you. It's not for the person that you can conceive that is more wealthy than you in this age, in this country. It's, he's talking to us. And so the question has to be asked, well then, why is it more difficult? Like, what, what makes it more difficult to enter the kingdom of heaven if you have wealth? Well, it's not because, it's not because poor people are more spiritual than rich people. That's not the case. We know that biblically it's not the case, that every single person, no matter your economic status, has fallen short of his glory, rebelled against God, and is in desperate need of grace. We know that. Everyone's sinful. Everyone's turned away. There's, there's no one righteous. No, not one. So if we're all equally sinful, why is it more difficult for people who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? It's more difficult because riches, like nothing else, cater to the lie that we don't need saving. Riches like nothing else cater to the lie that we believe that we don't need saving, we don't need a savior, we don't need a cross, we just need a little bit of help. We don't have sins, we have 
flaws and issues and bad childhoods, and we have all these issues. We don't need saving. See, riches can give you a comfortable world where you see your sins less and less. Riches can give you a comfortable world where you see your sins less and less. And what begins to happen, the more wealth that you have, it's easier to confuse your circumstances with your character. What begins to happen, the more wealth that you have, you easily begin to confuse your circumstances with your character. What do I mean by that? Let's look at food. Okay, when you and I go a couple of hours without food, we turn into different people. We become mean and angry and irritable, and we yell at people. We do crazy stuff when we get a little bit hungry. And not even not eating, you've been on a, like a paleo diet before and couldn't eat bread, and you're like, I'll kill somebody for, for some pumpernickel right now. I'll do it. <laughs> for pumpernickel, I'll do it. We go a couple of hours without food, and we turn into crazy people. But here's the deal. We are so rich, we don't know hunger like the rest of the world. We don't. You and I don't know hunger like the rest of this world does. You, you and I don't know hunger when you don't know when your next meal is coming or how you'll even get to it. No, we don't know hunger like the rest of the world. And so that stressful situation, we can push it to the side as we feed ourselves. And what begins to happen, we confuse circumstances for character. And we begin to think, the more wealth you have, you begin to think, I'm patient because I'm a good person. I'm nice because I'm a good person. Instead of realizing the truth, no, I'm a good person because I'm fed. I'm a nice person. I'm a patient person because I have food to eat. See, riches make this world comfortable for us. We see our sins less and less. See, it's not that rich people are worse than poor people. It's that riches cater to us. They push away our needs. And so when you feel like you don't need saving, then you'll, you won't go to Jesus. If you don't need saving, why go to him? You have everything pretty much figured out. We push our sins to the side. And so for me, um, I've had the privilege throughout most of my life to go on really great vacations. Um, just growing up, my, God was really gracious to give my mom and dad great jobs. And so, and my mom worked for American Airlines, so we get to fly for free everywhere. And so um, every winter we would go skiing and every summer we'd go to the beach and they were fantastic. And then um, even now, even to this day, my parents are really generous to my family. And they, every summer they take myself, my wife, my daughter to Mexico with them. We go, we go hang out and have a week at the beach. And so it's become a kind of family tradition. And, and and it's great, and I've gotten to see some of the most beautiful places this planet has to offer. I've gotten to see the, the, the seven pools as I, on the road to Hana in Maui. I've gotten to see the black sand beaches of Costa Rica. I've gotten to see the sunsets in St. Lucia and the clear water in the Caribbean. I've gotten to see all these places. And let me say, there's, no, there's nothing sinful about that. It's not sinful for you to go on vacation or to take a week off. It's not sinful. These places aren't inherently wrong. They can be great places of rest, but you need to hear this. They're spiritually dangerous. They're spiritually dangerous. See, I've been to all these places and not once, not once, have I seen one of those beautiful sights and thought, I need to repent of my sin and trust Jesus. I've never thought that. I've looked at these things and I've been, I've marveled at them. I've been in awe of them. I've even thanked God for his creation, but I've never felt needy. They've never made me feel needy, like I need a savior. They made me feel thankful, but not needy. See, when I lie on the beach and I read a book and I feel the warm ocean air on my skin, I don't naturally think, 
man, I have so many issues, I need saving. I don't think that in that moment typically. I, I don't sit there in that amazing just moment, I don't typically think, you know what, Jesus is better than this. I don't think those things, naturally. Naturally in those moments I think, I'm doing pretty good. I deserve this vacation. In those moments you think you're like, is Jesus better than this? This beach is awesome. Like you have those moments. You don't typically run to Jesus in those moments. Why? And and I'm not saying for us that every day is a vacation at the beach. I'm not saying that. We have struggles and strains and stresses in our lives. I'm not diminishing those. But it's a great example of what riches do. They make our lives more comfortable. They, They remove our circumstances and difficulties so we don't see our need for God as often as we would if we didn't have them. Because listen, you don't get to know God as your father through a beautiful sunset or a lazy boy or an amazing meal. You don't know God as father through those things. You can know something about him. He get, all good gifts are from him. That You can learn something about his character from those gifts. But you can't know him as father through those things. The only way you, you and I can know God as our father, even though we're sinful, is looking at a blood-stained cross and saying, I deserve that. I deserve that. He took my punishment. That's for my sin. The only way we can know God as Father is receiving his righteousness, receiving what he worked for, and saying, I didn't earn anything. He did. See, riches are dangerous because the only way you and I can know God is through repentance and faith in Christ, and they cloud that. They make it cloudy. And make it hard to see, do I really have a need? Or can I just buy some new cool thing and not think about it ever again? Can I go on some new cool vacation and not think about the issues that I'm working through? They're dangerous. They're dangerous. They're deadly because they lead us away from God. And if you don't have God in this life, the best you can have is a quiet despair and dissatisfaction. And in the next life, all you'll have is eternal destruction. That's... Why Paul says it will lead you into all sorts of pain and destruction. We have to be aware of it. It doesn't make it impossible to be saved. It just makes it more difficult. We have to be aware of that. So on one, on one side of it, they're dangerous. But on the other side, there's so much potential for joy through our finances as we give it away. Look at Acts 20, 35. Don't turn there. It'll be on the screen behind me. Acts 20, 35. Listen to this promise. Paul says, In all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus gives us this counterintuitive promise that says there's more blessing, that word is joy or happiness, in giving than in receiving. That's what he just said. There's more happiness when you give yourself and your stuff away than when you receive stuff. So if that's true, and it is because Jesus said it, if that's true, then your money just became an incredible tool for your joy and my joy. It just became a tool for us because remember, money is morally neutral. It's morally neutral. It's powerful, but it's morally neutral. And God gives you every dollar you ever receive. No matter how hard you've worked, every dollar ultimately comes from God. He owns everything. 
He thought money up. He wanted it to be here. So it's not inherently evil. So now it becomes a tool for our joy, but it's a tool as long as we continue to be generous with it. Because the promise is there's more joy in giving your things away than in keeping them for yourself. And I've learned this over the past couple of years with my wife and daughter. I've seen this firsthand. I think we know that intuitively, but it's hard to see sometimes. And I've learned that there's more joy in giving than in receiving as God has brought Lauren and Elle into my life. Because before God brought them into my life, I wasn't really good at or thought about giving gifts. I didn't really think about it. I didn't really do it a lot. Uh, part of it's because when you give me a gift, I mean, I'll, I'll take your gift, but if you give it to me, I'm not typically going to, it's not, it doesn't minister to me in the way it does to other people. I'm more of a words guy, and so that would minister to me more, but I'll take gifts. If you're thinking about it, go and give me one. But, <laughs> but they don't minister to me that way, so I kind of thought, well, why would anyone else want a gift, that kind of thing. But also, the, one of the reasons I thought about it was all my best friends have been dudes. And in male friendships, you don't really give gifts a lot, you know? Like, I mean, in male friendship, I mean, you can buy someone, like, a ticket for something or a meal. I, I don't know if you buy another guy a shirt. I mean, that'd be kind of weird. Like, if you brought me a shirt, I'd be like, don't ever talk to me ever again. You know, like, I mean, you, you don't give gifts in male friendship. Like, if a guy starts saying, hey, man, I want to buy this for you, and I got this gift for you, I'm like, dude, don't ever call me. Like, we're not friends anymore. That would be weird. And so gift giving isn't a, hasn't been a part of my life until God brought Lauren and Elle because they feel loved by me giving them gifts. And so Lauren, for her birthday this past year, all she wanted to do was go see Les Mis here in Austin. I wasn't pumped about it, but I was like, well, it's your, it's your birthday. You have to do what you want. So we're going to go to Les Mis. And so we went and saw it, and the show was amazing. I definitely did not cry. Um, and it was an amazing show, honestly. I was crying. Um, I was totally crying. It was an amazing show, but the best part of the night for me, the best part of the night, and it's just, I'm learning this firsthand, was how happy it made Lauren and how loved she felt by me. That's the best part of the night. I mean, the same truth with my daughter, getting to buy her a new dress or a little play kitchen, whatever this thing that she likes, and taking her on dates. Those things are fun because it shows her I love her and she has joy in it. See, there's more blessing in giving than in receiving. Why? Because you're sharing in someone else's joy. You're sharing in their joy. There's more joy when you give things away, and that's exactly why it's a blessing for me to give to this church. It's a blessing for me to give to this church. One of the greatest joys I get to have is supporting this church financially. Like every other partner here at the Stone, this isn't unique to me, but every other partner here at the Stone, I get the joy of giving 10% of my gross income to this church. And we're really excited. Lauren and I, we're almost out of debt. We did some stupid things when we first got married. We're almost out of debt. And now we're going to use that money to give to missions and for the city initiatives. We're excited to move past 10% and get into more generosity. But I'm glad I get to give to this church because I believe in what God's doing here. And all that he's doing and all the ways I know and don't know about. See, because through being a part of this church and giving to it, I get to be a part of things I never thought I get to be a part of. I mean, through the generosity of this church, God has raised up people who have gone to other peoples and places who've never heard the gospel. They now believe the gospel. Now they're sharing the gospel. I have new brothers and sisters. I get to be a part of that. that through the generosity of this church, we've been able, God's been able to raise up before the city center where those who are easily forgotten, those who are easily ostracized and under-resourced now have a place and people reaching out to them. I get to be a part through generosity of God bringing marriages together here. I get to be a part of God strengthening marriages here. I get to be a part of God reconciling marriages here. I get to be a part of that through giving. I get to be a part of all the people God has saved through this church. 
There's so many of us in here who probably met Jesus for the first time with this family. And how many more of us, we met Jesus somewhere else, but we ran for a long time, and this was the first place where he really brought us back. We ran for a long time, we came back to this family, and this is where God healed us, taught us the gospel, got us on our feet and put us on mission. I get to be a part of that through giving. It's a joy for me, but I think, and I give for all those reasons, but I think the main reason that I give, I thought about this week, is I want people to experience what I've gotten to experience. Before I came to the Austin Stone, I knew Jesus. I've been following him for a couple years, but I haven't known him the way I've known him like I've known him here. You know, I, I, I've, I've never known Jesus in the way I've known him with you guys. His love and his power and his grace in my life has been more evident to me in the last five years than ever before in my life. I want people to taste that and experience what I've gotten to taste and experience. See, it's a joy for every local church to have believers who give to it. Every believer should have that joy because you have to know this. The hope of the world is Jesus Christ. There is no other hope. And the way he takes his hope to the world is through his church. That's how he does it. No other organization, no nonprofit, no entity, no government is God's, his ordained means of advancing his gospel. His church is. So I get to invest in God advancing his kingdom and bringing all things and uniting them in Christ, in his church. So here's what I want to tell you. If for some reason, if for some reason you just find yourself unwilling to give to this church. For whatever reason, good, bad, indifferent, you just find yourself unwilling to give to this church, then you need to go somewhere where you can give. You need to go somewhere where you can give. There's too much joy in it. Now, I'm not talking about those of you who can't for uh, financial reasons, like it's an ability thing. You don't have a job or you have low income or you have debt or some other financial stress or strain that I'm not considering. I'm not talking about an ability thing. But if you find yourself just unwilling, I'm telling you, go somewhere where you can get behind it. Be a part of a church where you can give and get on mission and love that and be all in. When you look at Acts, they're all in. They're all in. And God was able to use them in mighty, mighty ways. And so I don't want our church to get in the way of your holiness and your joy. I really don't. I really don't want us to get in the way. I don't want something about our church to tell yourself, okay, I can sit in my seat and not give, and I'll give one day in the future, and I'm telling you, I don't want you to bind to that lie. I want you to go somewhere where you can give and be a part of that local family. So all of us, all of us are being challenged through this series, are growing in this series, and this series is just the next step in us stretching our faith and following Jesus. And you have to know, stewarding your finances and my finances for the glory of God is a lifetime endeavor. It's a lifetime endeavor. We have so many areas to grow. We, and we're going to find so many areas of repentance over the years and so much grace for us. I mean, our lives are going to remind us that there is no financial hole too deep to be saved from. There's not. There's not like if you have this spending habit or this debt, then all of a sudden God says, okay, now you get shame. It's not the case. It's always grace. It's always acceptance. It's always love when you repent and trust Jesus. Always. But we have to start somewhere. We have to start somewhere. See, we have to say, okay, I know I have all these struggles, but I need to be generous somewhere, even if it feels small, even if it feels insignificant. And what's been awesome is, like every sermon series we do, our amazing kids team and all of our amazing volunteers that take care of them during the service and teach them for us, 
They've been walking through the generosity series alongside of us. And, and I love that my daughter and our kids are learning from the very beginning, all I have has been given to me from God. And I get to reflect his generosity to me by being generous to others. I love that. And so what's really cool is that I think last week, they gave the kids an, an opportunity to give. They passed a basket around and said, hey guys, I want you to give to God. And I want to show you a picture that one of our volunteers took of their offering basket. Isn't that awesome? That is awesome. A couple of $1 bills, a Pokemon card, and a sucker, you know? <laughs> I love it because they're giving out of what God gave them. You know some kid sat there and was like, I don't have any money, but I do have a Pokemon card. It's a pretty good one, and I'm saving the sucker for later, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to give it to God. I, I'm, I'm going to give it and just see what happens. That's amazing. And do you think Jesus saw that and goes, Man, what am I going to do with a Pokemon card? There's no exchange rate for that. There's no exchange rate for Pokemon cards. Kid, get a dollar bill, put it in there. You think that's what Jesus thought? Really? If you think that, you're mean. Um, you think Jesus thought that? No. Do you think he thought, that's nothing. You're, you're, you're going to give so much more one day. Why even start with that? Do you think he was disappointed or frustrated? No. Why? Because they're giving the best way they knew how. The best way they knew how. They thought, all I have is a Pokemon card. I'll give it. What is that for you? You, you know you're struggling, but what's that first step? you got to start somewhere. Don't think you'll be generous in the future. You won't. Start with something, no matter how small it may be, because the best thing about God, he's not even trying to force you to give. He wants you to know no matter what you give, he loves a cheerful giver. He wants our hearts to be so overwhelmed with his love and say, okay, I don't know how to do it. I'm just going to start with this. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, no matter the amount. No matter the amount. He loves a cheerful giver. So church, there is so much danger and potential when it comes to our finances and our money. And God has given us, you have to be honest, he's given us so much wealth that we have to be very serious and careful about how we use it. You have to know, don't be deceived. It will be more difficult for you and for me to enter the kingdom of God. We have to know that. If anyone on the planet is going to be deceived, it's going to be us. It is. Jesus told us that, but it's not impossible. That's why we have to constantly bring our money and our possessions and our finances to our Father, his Christ, his gospel, his word, his spirit, his people, and say, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? Just tell me what to do. Give me wisdom from your people as to how I should give. I don't want to be deceived. I, I want you to be my God, not money to be my God. That's the whole point of this series. It's more difficult for us. We want to give it away so we can keep knowing Jesus the rest of our lives. So I want to end this series, I want to end our series by reading you a text about our Jesus, about what he's like, that he's the one leading us, not the Austin Stone. He's the leader. We're following him to consider him one last time as we think about our generosity, Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, every weight, 
and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus came and he just kept giving himself away. He came and he led us and he leads us by giving his time away, his energy away, his money and possessions away. He founded our faith and our following of him on generosity, on his generosity for our sins. And he did it, why? Why does the text say he did it? For joy. There's joy out there that I'm going after. That's why he did it. And that's why we have to do it, is for the joy at the right hand of God. At the joy of knowing God and being at his right hand forever, where there's pleasures forevermore, delight forevermore, that's why we're generous. Because we see our Jesus and how he's loved us and how he's leading us, we say, I want to go where he's going. This whole series for us as a church has been, we want to go where he's going. Church, let's follow him into more joy. Let's pray. Father, just in this moment, would you remind us, would you speak to us of how much you love your people in this moment? That Jesus, you are in the heavens and you intercede for us right now. You pray for us right now. You remind the Father of how righteous we are right now. So that as we consider how we give and we consider how to be generous, God, that we would do so knowing that you already love us. You've already paid for sin. This is not making up for anything. We're just, getting, we're just getting to partake in how much you love us. God, would you make us a people who are generous? Would you make us a people who let go of these things knowing there's no life in them? Would you let us know you in such a way where giving becomes the hardest thing but also the easiest thing to do? God, give us wisdom. Give us discernment, God. Bring people around us that we can process through our finances with. But God, let all of it be done. Let everything that we're doing, all the money that we give, God, don't use it for any other means than exalting Jesus to the highest place. He's the best thing about us. He's the only one that's good. He's the only place we find joy. God, use this series for that end. We ask, we beg you, our daddy, for these things. Amen. Church, let's stand together.